Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is James Carter. James Carter is a member of the Canon Rents team. Canon Rents is an absolutely fabulous podcast that you should be listening to all the time. Highly recommended from over here. James and I have a really great conversation around not just Dark Souls, but Marvel versus Capcom, The Witcher. We kind of go all over the place and talk about world building in general. It's a really fun episode. As always, if you'd like to come guest on the show, send me an email, dgspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy. Demon Souls or from Dark Souls one? Uh, chronologically, with with release from Demon Souls, I've played everything in order. So, so. Oh, wow. Did you like? How did you hear about Demon Souls? Was that that typical like internet thing where you kind of heard people talking about this really difficult game? Uh, yeah, podcasts mainly. Uh, but yeah, yeah. And you did you import a copy or did you get uh, wait for it to be released in your territory? Uh, I was released in Europe by the time I was looking to pick up a copy. So yeah, I got a copy over here. Can you kind of walk me through that first experience with Demon Souls? Because mine lasted 45 minutes and then I sent it back to the rental place because <laughs> so, I was so frustrated with it. Um, yeah, sure. Um, so with Demon Souls, it was this weird situation where it was released in Japan or in Asia first, then in the US, um, and then in Europe like a year later than its initial release. Um, so I was listening to a podcast called uh, Big Red Potion and um, they had given it game of the year when a lot of them had imported it from Japan and the US in 2009. And then in 2010, they gave it game of the year again based on the loophole that it wasn't released until 2010 <laughs> in Europe. So they took the opportunity. And, and when when a podcast is willing to do that to make a point, you know, especially a podcast like Big Red Potion, which is no longer around and hasn't been for years now, but uh, at the time was uh, and still is sort of one of my favorite podcasts. Um, when they do that, it's like, okay, I, I can't ignore this anymore. You know, um, And I think retrospectively at that point, so January 2011, I picked Demon Souls up. Um, retrospectively at that point, I... Um, I realized I'd heard a lot about the game, even though, like with a lot of stuff that people do spoiler warnings for on podcasts, I, I don't bother avoiding it, to be honest, because by the time I play the game, it's so out of context and so long ago that I've forgotten whatever was said about the game, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but with Demon's Souls, I did kind of realize that I'd sort of heard a lot of stuff. So one of the most important things that I knew when I went in to play the game was you don't have to continue playing through World 1, if you like, okay. uh, Bulletaria Palace. You know, do 1-1 one, one and then go elsewhere. Um, and I'd also heard that 4-1 um, was a, a good place to go, Shrine of Storms, um, in terms of getting, well, one particular piece of equipment that would make the game a heck of a lot easier, mm -hmm. uh, despite the fact that, you know, you're up against rolling skeletons from moment one in that world. Um so, so I had a couple of pieces of information kind of subconsciously almost tucked away that helped set me off, you know, a slightly easier clip than perhaps I would have had without information. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I didn't bounce off it as hard as you did at all or as hard as several people I, I know did. Um, 
because I'd, I guess I'd heard so much in the positive about it that it, it intrigued me enough to sort of to give me a vested interest. And uh, the version that I bought was the Black Phantom edition that we got over here. Which, oh, yeah. I've always wanted to track down a copy of that because that, that edition looks really, really cool. It, it is cool. I mean, it's just a cardboard box, and mm-hmm. but the, the game art inside is red instead of the, the blue sort of um, figure on the front, the fluted knight, um, or the fluted armor, I should say. Um, and it's got kind of the guide that was just cribbed from the wiki <laughs> almost wholesale <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and obviously this was um, Namco Bandai's first involvement with this, the Souls games uh, when it came to Europe because it had been published by Sony in Japan and then Atlas in America and this was uh, they, they published in Europe um, so they did a pretty good job of putting together a, a decent version of the game um, I, I think at least. I mean, there were there were printing issues with the guide it faded over time and stuff like that, but it was really nice uh, to, to sort of pick up this not Watch Dogs limited edition version of a game that was brand new, you know, mm-hmm. um, but one that was kind of like subtle in the fact that it was saying, look, this game's, you know, worthy of a limited edition, even though it's the first and, you know, it's it's a brand new IP, if you want to call it that. Um, it's nice that they so I did uh, invest in- that they they did that they made such a nice and subtle copy, and then went on to you know mangle the Dark Souls three marketing that I'm definitely not still bitter about. <laughs> so, at least well, they got it right. I mean, once. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so when by the obviously we'll we'll get onto Dark Souls, but when that came out, a bit of me was like, well, Atlas kind of stuck their neck out to get this game outside of Japan. It's a shame they haven't been allowed to continue with their involvement, but from someone in Europe's point of view, Namco did a good job of getting Demon Souls out and giving it kind of a, a bit of a, you know, shouting about it a little bit at least, getting it out there and supporting the servers beyond when maybe it would have been reasonable to do so. Because um, every time they came to the end of when they'd agreed to keep the servers up, they just said, yeah, no, we're extending, it's fine. And they, they kind of kept that um, going for, for a lot longer than maybe certainly EA would have, for example. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I was quite happy uh, that Namco were involved uh, further on the series, but yeah, ish by the time Dark Souls two came out, and then certainly by the time Dark Souls three came out, it's just mm-hmm. like from please. I know I'm sure Namco are making it, you know, uh, are making it financially worthwhile, but yeah, maybe <laughs> have a word with them about either publicising this game. <laughs> Um, I'm, just, I'm not saying you got to change publishers, but just maybe tell them that like chicken wings are not the way to market Dark Souls. I mean, that's just awful. <laughs> and, and again, the the way that the game was marketed and shown, it just started giving away too much left, right, and center. I felt. Um, I mean, the the fact that the the cover art is the final boss is not an issue because you don't know that until you get there. But um, yeah, it just felt like they were just willing to lay everything out bare and almost, you know, it's nigh on Darth Vader on a box of cereals, isn't it, really? Yep. You know, they really, it's the same way Disney have with Star Wars. They got to the point where it felt like it was being shoved down people's throats. Um, and it's really not, that's not how the series came into popularity at all. I mean, as as I've just said, and, you know, many of your guests and yourself have said, Demon Souls, it was like, whispers that you got or you picked up the odd comment here and there and kind of had to string them all together to get a sense of what the game was and dark souls i mean we forget it was 
seems like a relatively short period, two and a half years between a game and its sequel. You know, two years is kind of typical. Two and a half certainly wouldn't be a long period. But compared to then the year-on-year releases of FromSoft games after that, between Dark Souls and Dark Souls 2, that's how long it took to build up word of mouth to get the sense of how much of an impact this game was having on people. Uh, because many, many people didn't get to Dark Souls until a couple of years after its release. Um, but, but yeah, it's it's tough to, to remember that in some cases when, yeah, as you say, you've got hot wing deal, not even deal <laughs> challenges and stuff like that and, yeah, it's, and it's all the kind of meme t-shirts <laughs> and uh, meme adverts and stuff. And you're just like, that's, yeah, okay, I recognize all that stuff from these games mm-hmm. but that's not why many of the people i know play these games at all um but hey what i guess it? the marketing's not for me i was already sold on dark souls 3 so and the, and that's what's always harder for, for harder for me for, to remember is like they're not none of this stuff is meant for the guy that i am which is the person they who don't need to ar- sell the game to people who are already got their pre-orders to, um, yeah, yeah before so. before that marketing ever came out i'd already put my money up so like i'm i'm definitely not the target demographic for that and i'm and i'm probably yeah. the sucker that i keep saying this that i'll, I'll keep buying dark souls games like until you know they, they're gonna have to really screw me over before i don't do that <laughs> <laughs> well i mean from soft are you know they have a history with sort of niche genre seems harsh but versus a you know a fifa or a Mad- well not madden so much anymore but a fifa or a gta or a call of duty th- these games are still niche they still you know rely on that small audience and, and word of mouth to a certain extent but yeah it's um they they've ground niche series into the ground you know ground them down to out of existence before so it certainly wouldn't be beyond them i just Obviously, we don't know how much is at the mercy of Namco, who quite possibly own the title and could, in theory, pass Dark Souls 4 off to someone else. I mean, we, it's certainly not to my knowledge. It's never been commented on uh, in the same way that FromSoft couldn't use Demon Souls. That was Sony-owned mm-hmm. or at least co-owned. Uh, it may well be that Namco have the, the right to, to go and and Dark Souls off to the Lords of the Fallen guys. Perfect. That's what I always, when we start talking about uh, Demon Souls remasters, that's what I always hear is that uh, because there were so many different publishers, you've got, you know, Atlas and Sony and Namco and, and your yeah, territory yeah. that like doing that remaster is going to be, is, that's the reason that they haven't done that. Like everyone kind of thinks like, oh yeah. my God, why they have, why haven't they done that? It'd be so easy. But I think yeah. the rights are just in like a legal nightmare, which is kind of disappointing. Kind of yeah, disappointing. It depends on the licensing agreement. I mean, it, uh, arguably, it's I'm sure it's more of a nightmare, but it's arguably easier with something like Marvel versus Capcom three, um, because they they sign a licensing agreement that has a definitive end. Whereas, yeah, if, if these were never signed with a definitive end in mind, then Sony and FromSoft can't take control of those back necessarily uh just by letting time lapse so i look at stuff like marvel versus capcom 3 and i think like how in the world did they let you do this and thank god that they did like letting marvel letting people use their character letting capcom use their characters like that and yeah it it brings a whole new life to them and like it's it's certainly does yeah yeah. i just picked it up i just picked up the remaster uh Mm, when it was really released. good remaster actually and really, oh my god uh, like i've never i've never really played those games before for whatever reason like i don't know why i was always a soul caliber guy <laughs> and i, I looked down on other fighting games yeah. but holy mm. shit james that marvel vs. capcom <laughs> is great <laughs> i know this is a dark it, souls podcast but i could do a good 30 yeah, minutes on it 
<laughs> oh, I, I could I could do uh, do plenty on on that, and and I am useless at Marvel vs. Capcom. <laughs> I can barely tell what's going on in any of those games. You watch, um, you know, high level tournament play of of UMVC three, and it's just I, I can barely keep an eye on whose characters who's because it's frequently four characters on screen at once uh, and just giant flashes of light obscuring the entire screen so that you can't really tell what's going on. Obviously, the people playing know, and the more that you kind of uh, watch, the more you get a grip of it but or get a grasp of it. But, um, yeah, no, it's it's insane. And and I think it's, it is great that Marvel allow Capcom to do that. The downside is that, uh, like with all agreements that Marvel signed for licensing now, they, they do put very strict time limits on. So Capcom only had two years from date of release to sell that game essentially which meant they couldn't support they couldn't patch or either they couldn't or there was no you know no reason for them to further support and patch yeah if they can't continue to sell things based on that game then like they can't justify actually keeping not going to keep servers up and they're not going to patch it because they no longer get any money from selling it you know it was stripped down from digital stores although i can't remember if that was up on digital stores i think it was but like dlc came down and stuff like that yeah, yeah. the same thing down. happened with the um the legends games the or, yeah, yeah. Uh, ultimate marvel or whatever yeah the little <clears throat> loot boxes anyway yeah, yeah. um anyway, tell me about yeah, <laughs> yeah let's not get too too off topic <laughs> uh what was it like actually playing demon souls for the first time because obviously it has a reputation of being a hard game and I, I still think that demon souls is probably one of the most brutal games out of the box like even today strictly because of the yeah the, the sucker punch where you get you know half your health taken off when you when you die like that's a that's a pretty brutal thing I, it would even be i think it would be better if they just started you with half your health but when they show you having full health and then all of a sudden you don't have it anymore it's just a yeah it's just it's such it takes the wind out of so, your sails <clears throat> it it does, and I can't remember whether this was something I kind of subconsciously knew what, or or worked out through the game, but I ended up my first playthrough, I just treated my health like half health was full health, essentially. Like, that was the top of my health um, meter and used the cling ring to, to kind of get that up to sort of 75% health, nearly. Um, but yeah, I can't remember if I I knew that or whether it was something I just kind of intuited that um, because of how often you're going to die, you almost may as well just get used to half health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if you did that, you wouldn't get invaded because there's that moment where you're in the you're just learning the UI, you're in the next for the first time, so you're running over to every um, kind of soap soap message. I can't remember if that's what it's called in Demon Souls and every bloodstain and hitting it. And you just see like dozens of bloodstains where people are just running up the stairs <laughs> and off the edge. And it's like, what is going on? What are on they doing? Yeah. What is this? Um, and then you get invaded once. And as I say, I, I can't remember if I worked out from that or uh, had heard someone say that if you're not in human form, as I guess it's human and soul form in Demon Souls, um, then you can't be invaded. So I was quite happy to play that game half health anytime I was forced to full health by beating a boss, turf myself off the nexus and and just play like that and um and just stick the cling ring on. Um which obviously has its its benefits and its deficits because I played entirely through on my own, didn't summon anyone in until I got to New Game Plus. Um 
and the ring slot is therefore just gone in order to give you a workable amount of health. Mm -hmm. Um, But what it did mean was I just got used to death not being failure, which I think is an important mindset to have. I've, I've never been one of the, the best thing about the souls games is how hard they are people. And I've frequently been, almost chastised for saying, I don't actually think they are that difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's not to cause I come from a place of, I find rhythm action games very difficult cause I have no sense of timing. I therefore find fighting games and third person action like uh, devil may cry or Bayonetta or whatever, uh, very difficult because combos require that sort of timing. And so I like the fact that either through brute force or obstinance or just patience, I can still progress in a game like Demon Souls as long as I'm willing to accept I'm going to die a lot. Um, and I think I think playing Demon Souls even in 2011, um, I, it, it just trained me for the entire series by the fact that it is a bit more obscure in some ways, it is a bit more brutal in some ways, um, and 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 yeah, yeah as you say. Uh, possibly the most unforgiving of, of the series in, in some respects. What, what um, do you think it was about the game that continued to pull you through despite kind of having to overcome that difficulty? Um, you know, for me, it was, it was not, I just, the controls never clicked with me and I didn't give it enough time mm, or, or patience. Mm. So that's why I chucked it um, back into the mailbox and sent it back. But there was yeah, still yeah. in the back of my mind, I was like, man, that world, like it, it really, it intrigued <laughs> me so much. I was like, I'm going to have to go back yeah. one day. <laughs> Well, the world, yeah, absolutely, because um, possibly due to just lack of exposure or I hadn't looked in the right places, I hadn't seen many games that looked like this, like proper medieval era artwork and technologies and all that sort of stuff. So the world's intriguing because, you know, who are these bosses? You realize, I think quite early on, that they're there clearly is something to these bosses. They they are either thematically or in lore terms important. They're not just there to overcome. Um, but also I, th- I think one of the big things for me is, um, yes, you get beaten down and beaten down and beaten down uh, by just random basic enemies, uh, let alone bosses. But that sense of accomplishment, even just for getting past a single enemy, but certainly any time I beat a boss, um, when I first played the game, January 2011, I only played it for sort of two or three months, bit at a time, bit here, bit there, uh, until I ran up against Flame Lurker. Um, I think that boss is still pretty notorious for being a sticking point Absolutely. for many, many people. <laughs> um, and I got to that boss and I thought, well, yeah, I can go elsewhere and find another world or another boss to tackle. But by that point, I knew... There was a way, to, even for me, as as poor as I consider myself at games, there was a way for me to beat that boss. And I, as long as I had the patience and kept trying different things, kept refining my dodge timings through through his moves and my strategy, etc., um, I knew there would be a way to do that. So I, I kept sort of plugging away at Flame Lurker and ended up kind of moving away from the game uh, for six months or so until Dark Souls came out. Um, just because uh, almost obstinance, I thought, no, I've set my stall out here. I'm going to beat Flame Lurker before I move on elsewhere. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. So I, at that point, I could very quickly run down, you know, the sort of shaft shortcut 
that you have yep. to kind of hop platform mm-hmm. down to get to Flame Marker. Uh, I'd found that. I'd dipped down there and got into the, the boss room. And you can do that fairly quickly as long as you're happy to sort of um, just sort of run through that section. Uh, it's, it's really the world's worst shortcut. Like, I don't think I've died so many way, so many times on the way to a boss because I fell off that, those dumb yeah. ledges. Like, well, and, uh, and of course, as we know in the Souls games, just because there's a plank there doesn't mean you can land on it. Sometimes you just pass straight through. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> or just bump off the side, and you just, and before you've even hit the ground, gravity is is the secret, <laughs> secret, secret big boss. boss. Absolutely, it's the same thing. And um, I've been slowly but surely going through the destiny raids with my buddy b wade and on mm. one of the destiny raids you have to do this like series of platforming and there's these giant like penis shaped like things that come out of the wall and like knock you off and like these really tiny ledges and it's exactly the same thing like it's just impossible to do reliably I, you shouldn't yeah, have yeah. platforming in a souls game and you should never ever have a jumpy puzzle in destiny no. but here we are no. <laughs> yeah you have to be a, a, a very well refined first person game of any kind to for me, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even in in third person, if it's 3D, the shadow that you are using to judge where you're landing has to be spot on because otherwise it's just frustrating. And if that's not the engines for these games, the mechanics for these games are just not built for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, it's one of those whatever reason, where, Demon Souls is the only one that lets you climb ledges. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, that's <laughs> always such a weird fact about this series. Is like, there's a couple of times where your character like clambers up over a ledge in Demon Souls, and then yeah. for the rest of time, like those characters just cannot lift their legs more than like two feet up above, above the yeah. ground. <laughs> and I, I think that's um, that's one of the things that I enjoyed and, and pulled me through Demon Souls as, as much as any of the other games is there's that notion of not really knowing what's possible to do. Um, either because it's not really intended, but it's an exploit left in. Or in this case, you know, like uh, the, the way that um, hidden walls and illusory walls and stuff like that work, where, you know, in Dark Souls 2, you have to walk up and push a button as opposed to just hitting it, you know. Uh, and there's that, there's that sort of unknown for, from one game to the next, but even within the game, you know, oh, can I climb this ledge when you're playing Dark Souls and you walk up to something and just push towards it and, you know, try and, and go over it. And it's like, oh, no, okay. Um, but there's that notion of having to kind of build your own manual as you go, both technically and in terms of the lore aspect. You're kind of having to, uh, in the same way with um, early RPGs and dungeon crawlers where you'd have to sort of draw your own map. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that notion of having to do that. Uh, uh, and, and not necessarily with pen and paper sat next to you, but in your own head, you're almost. Uh, it was the wonderful thing. The the um, wikis for each of these games are fan built and fan made. But every fan of the games, if they've beaten the game, or or even if they haven't, I suppose, has this kind of uh, wiki of their own in their head. Whereas, and uh, it's not to say that all games, aside from the Souls series, are somehow guilty of being, uh, you know waymarked and corridor mm-hmm. uh environments but, but um there there uh, there is something about playing you know a uh, uh, batman arkham knight or a call of duty and then turning on a, a souls game and thinking you know what actually this yes i'm being just left to scramble around in the dark but at least i'm making my own way and feel like i'm coming up with my own solutions even if i'm not necessarily, but not being led through it means when you do work something out, when you do beat a boss, when you do work out how to use a bow and arrow or whatever, 
um, it feels like it's yours. You've earned that um, rather than just being kind of uh, led, led up the garden path, so to speak. I think so, it invites a little closer scrutiny to the world as well. Um, when I'm playing an open world game, like The Witcher, uh, and The Witcher is a great game. I'm not going to you know, slag off oh, yeah. The Witcher or anything, but um, a lot of the times, like I get a quest, I look at my map, I add it to, to a waypoint, I see that it's you know so many meters away, and then I get on my horse and I run towards it. Um, in in Dark Souls, it's like I, I just by just by net, it, it requires you to slowly progress through those areas, and you end up looking at yeah. every single little thing on the <clears throat> along the way. Because mm. you don't know where you're going, like it's it's, it's that, unknown. Everything could be significant. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you get so I think those mental maps that you're talking about, I think that's what creates those. Like that's because you yeah. have focused on it yeah. so much. I couldn't tell you where anything in The Witcher is right now because I don't rely on. I don't need to worry about it. Like the game is going to tell me where to go. But in mm. Demon Souls, I could I could probably. With the exception of two, <laughs> with all the crazy <laughs> minds, I could probably draw you a rough map. I could at least get you down a path to, towards a boss. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there is something to be said. Um, in, in any open world game, actually, for at least trying to see if you can manage without the map. I mean, some games, uh, your Grand Theft Autos, or even something like Burnout Paradise, it behooves you to use the map because you're constantly moving at such a pace that you kind of need to be aware of where your next turning is if you're in a car or if there's an entrance to a building or whatever it might be um but yeah with with demon souls i i was so happy there wasn't a map because uh you i would certainly end up living in that map watching that way marker rather than as you say creeping around the corner because you don't know what's there once you do know what's there working out how to get back there as quickly as possible and as safely as possible because all of your souls are sat there and dependent upon you getting back to where you were. Um, so, yeah, it definitely means you have to learn the map in the way that I did learn Paradise City and Burnout Paradise so that I didn't need to use the minimap because if I knew it saved me having to take my eyes away from the road to look at the minimap or pause, you know, pause the game and pull up the map or whatever. Um, and that's that's the wonderful thing I think about an open world game, which not so much Demon Souls. I mean, Dark Souls is the one that you'd consider more open world ish esque, I suppose, um, of the series. But in all cases, um, the, the environments are quite complex and do interweave and interlock in a way that it makes sense to kind of try and picture the overall world map and how it all fits together. Um, you know, the, the minds and demon souls um, are so twisty and turny that if you don't kind of get a, gr a grasp on not just where turning left or right will take you, but whether you are now elevated above a place you've been previously or directly below somewhere you've been previously, um, Tomb of the Giants, similarly. You know, there's mm -hmm. spots in that where you can fall down a hole and end up, you know, directly below where you've been previously. And it makes sense to try and, you know, for, in terms of getting to items or getting through the area quickly uh, next time around, once you've inevitably died at the boss, <laughs> um, it makes sense to kind of try and work out how it all pieces together. And I think the game rewards that by making their um, architect level uh, design and architecture uh, so intuitive in that way. Um, that you can rely on the fact that if you go along a corridor, up some stairs and come back along, you 
that that's those two corridors aren't distinct and separate. Yeah. Um, they're they're not, they're actually built together. together. They're not doing any kind of yeah. geometry tricks. It allows them to make yeah. a tower of Latria or something like that, where you've got, you know, multiple level, multiple stage, uh, environments that do all still work together. Um, what so, was yeah. it like? Um, cause you started with demon souls and then you went to dark souls yeah. and the, yeah. the, the, dramatic difference of the world design demon souls being much more of a linear levels level based thing and, and linear in the terms of the worlds like you're going from yeah point the, the a world to point structure B to point rather C. than the yeah. level structure yeah sure um, um but going from that to dark souls and then having that interleaving world like because i started with dark and mm. that it was really that world like that first time i think that you go uh up the elevator from the undead parish and you wind up at firelink shrine i was like Oh, yeah. they're doing. They're, this is a loading trick. Like I didn't even believe it. I was like, "There's no way." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but because because you've been through so much level, turning back on yourself, uh, time and time again, um, that you don't realize you're actually going in one big circle, and until you actually stop and look around and piece it all together and think, "No, that works." That you know, that is where I would be. Um, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, the, the first thing I noticed when I pulled up Dark Souls. So I first. Played Dark Souls on Xbox 360, um, whereas Demon Souls had been Demon Souls had been PS3. Um, the first thing I noticed was I actually thought the game looked a lot worse graphically. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that was the UI changes and me just not being used to it because I don't I don't think that's the case necessarily. And obviously that's in the eye of the boulder anyway. But uh, my first reaction was, oh, this game doesn't look as good as Demon Souls, um, and that obviously makes you think, oh, I wonder if they've had to rush the game or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think it is. So the first kind of shortcut that you open, I mean, it happens in in the asylum as well, but the first shortcut that you really open is um, from the, the bridge, the Drake Bridge in Undedburg, mm-hmm. um, where you get halfway along and just kind of run at the first place you can go that isn't an, on fire. Um, and... <laughs> And inevitably go down to the ladder, and instead of seeing the kick ladder, you just walk over the edge and back down to the bonfire. <laughs> Either because you didn't quite line yourself up correctly, or because you were just too excited there was a bonfire there. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, I think that was the first time I was like, "Oh!" And of course, at that point, you've technically got three different ways you can go from underneath the bridge. Um, so th- that sort of stuff really made me th- sort of realize that. This this isn't just going to be um, kind of dense environmental structure within a given level. It may well wrap back around more than that. And I think you're you're right. The first time it really hits home that that's not just within an area because Firelink still could be a kind of nexus where each path goes in a different direction, much the way Majula kind of reflects the nexus mm-hmm. in that respect. Um. But yeah, when you come down back into Firelink Shrine, it's just like, wow. So does that mean every, you know, going down into the skeleton graveyards, can I go down that way and come out somewhere that I might have been before? Um, it just opens up a lot of possibility. Um, and as you go on further and, you know, you get to, you come out the back end of Blight Town and you think this is going somewhere different, isn't it? into the Valley of the Drakes and then out into New Londo. And next thing you know, you're up in Firelink Shrine again. And it's just, it's fascinating uh, because I think the first reaction is exactly the one you, you had, is the same as the one I had, which is, it just puts you completely on your back foot, if you like. It just 
sorry, knocks you for six, I guess. Um, and then you piece it all together and think, no, this is where it's supposed to be. So how is the world like this? I guess, why is the world like this? Um, but yeah, it's it felt a lot more free, I guess. I mean, Demon Souls has the nice thing whereby you can just say, okay, tonight I'm going to tackle World 5-1. That's yeah. what I'm doing yeah. tonight. And let's not flatter myself, there was no area that I managed to complete in a night. But <laughs> you kind of you get to focus on one thing without worrying about anywhere else, whereas Dark Souls feels, as you said, mechanically it doesn't feel as unforgiving and as dangerous uh, compared to Demon's Souls, I think, overall. That would certainly be how I felt about it. But in terms of the world, it felt a lot more dangerous because you didn't know where you were going to pop out into next. It could be somewhere new. It could be somewhere you've been before. Um, but either way, you could. it felt like you could walk into something that you just weren't expecting, but felt like you should have been expecting almost. You know, if you could stay ahead of the game, you could work out where you were going. But naturally, the fact that there were Dark Wraiths running at you meant you couldn't really appreciate the fact that you were about to open a gate into you know, Valley of the Drakes. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 definitely a completely different feeling. Um, and for me, one of the most important parts of Dark Souls is the fact that it's this one world. It felt like natural progression from all these distinct zones to weave them all together into a world. Um, but just a, a marvellous thing to behold. Just, you know... 20, 30, 40 hours into the game to suddenly be going back to somewhere that you've been before or, you know... And realizing that it connects to a whole different area that you you never saw. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. What was it... um, Like, going to... Coming off of Dark Souls, and and after I finished Dark Souls, I went back to Demons and played Demons, Mm. and then... Dark Souls 2 came out and obviously the level design there, like from the beginning, it kind of felt like it was going to be Dark Souls uh, with a that yeah. kind of wrapping world with the forest of the giants, but it's, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's much more spoke based and, and level design. Much more hub and spoke. Yeah. Definitely. And, and that disappointed a lot of people. I think I didn't, I didn't quite realize at the time that a lot of people came to Dark Souls and fell in love with it just based on the world alone. So that when they get mm-hmm. to Dark Souls 2, they were kind of bummed out about it. For me, it was always about the mechanics, like I would, and the invasion systems. Like that was that was my big bummerito with Dark Souls too, as I didn't like the way that the invasions worked. But that's just me being a PvP troll. What what, what about mm. you? When you got into Dark Souls two, like exploring that world for the first time, wh- where were yeah. you at? Were you were you enjoying it, or did you kind of have this, a lot of the issues that the general internet had? Oh, oh I definitely enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but as I was going through, I started to realize it like. Stuff like going up an elevator from, you know, from the top of a tower and ending up at the top of a, a volcano. Yeah, yeah, it, that that didn't actually bother me so much. I mean, yeah, it, it's a bit sort of how did that happen? Mm-hmm. But with the Souls games, I always had faith that there would be an explanation or there would be a reason. And even if that reason is oh, well, you know, you're suffering amnesia and, and losing track of where you it's like. Really, but every time I go up that elevator, I'm suffering the same. It doesn't really matter. That wasn't in-game. That was outside of the game. That kind of quote-unquote excuse was made. Um, That didn't bother me so much. But what did bother me was, uh, and I started to do it, 
draw a map of, okay, going from this place to this place to this place, how do all the areas link together in Dark Souls 2? And as you say, aside from um, the, the Bastille, for example, um, having a couple of different ways to get into it, um, it really is hub and spoke. You know, yeah, you end up coming back to certain areas once you've been to uh, uh, been been to the un, uh, the is it undead dragon. Sure. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, 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 yeah. The undead dragon. Um, you have to go back to all the memory zones in Dark Souls Two, all the 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 memory trees and. Mm-hmm. Oh, the ancient you can, dragon. Oh, that's what it is. Ancient dragon. That's yeah, it. Sorry, yeah, undead. I, undead didn't sound right, but I didn't want to distract. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you end up going back there, but the world doesn't take you back there so much as you just have to go back there. Um, so, so there's there's that aspect of yes, you are exploring the world, and yes, it does different, but the the actual structure of it, the way you get from one area to the next, is very very linear um, in terms of being hub and spoke. Um, so each path is is quite linear once you start along that path, and yet you can warp anywhere. So you don't have to do any of it in the order it suggests. But it definitely evoked for me Demon Souls. Um, but Medulla looks more like Firelink Shrine, where you're wandering off into a world rather than being teleported out onto a linear path. Um, and then you start you know, from memory, like we were just talking about. Uh, you start drawing a map in Dark Souls. And very quickly, it looks like something unwieldy. <laughs> uh, not even a web, because that suggests structure. Um, it it looks like just this tangle, this knot and ball. Um, and that's not to say that it's badly designed or confusing. It's just much more interwoven and mm-hmm. um, turning and twisting and turning back on itself. Whereas I, I definitely was, by the end of my first playthrough of Dark Souls 2, I was disappointed with that aspect of it because it didn't feel so much like I was exploring a world as just being passed on from one area to the next that happened to be laid out along a path I took in one direction out from Medulla. Um, it's interesting how they've um, kept uh, like looking at the games that have come out yeah, since yeah. Uh, Dark Souls Two and Bloodborne, and now Dark Souls Three. Like mm. starting back with Bloodborne, they really tried to like go back to that, but in kind of half measures. And I feel like Dark Souls Three does this in the same way. Like in Dark Souls Three, you get to the um, Undead Purgatory, or is that it? What what is the town name? Um, oh, um, it's not the Purgatory. I'm terrible about remembering areas. Like for yeah, someone that I, does a podcast, I, I, don't know, I don't know what it is. But the, and, uh, you know, any other day I'd be able to recall that straight off. But oh, the area absolutely. where the tree is, yeah, 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 the the, the Curse Corridor Gatewood. Um, yeah, like that area is massive, and it has a lot of weird interwoven shortcuts that get you from you know one side of the map to another side of the map. But it's not necessarily mm-hmm. connected to a main world. Like it's you walk in from one place, it's very self contained. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and Bloodborne does the same thing. Like you look at something mm-hmm. like the uh, the forest and Bloodborne, where that whole area you run you work from one lamp and you just find additional shortcuts that get you and further and Definitely. further and do it which is which is wonderful and it's an amazing but it's not quite that the entire world is put together in a weird way thing yeah. that dark souls one does i, yeah, I wonder yeah. like I, I always think like i wonder how much work that took <laughs> and if they just will never <laughs> be able to to do it again you know it it kind of feels that way doesn't it because yeah it, i think that's the thing in Dark Souls 2, each individual area, aside from maybe somewhere like the Bastille or something like that, didn't feel as intricate to me as 
each individual area in Dark Souls, and then you put on top of that the fact that the areas didn't connect together in quite an int- as intricate a way. And that, I'm using intricate, and that's a word with positive connotations. That's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. I'm, I'm sure it happens to be mine, and, and I, I loved Dark Souls for that, and, and it definitely dampened Dark Souls too. Um, and then what Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3 did was make each area much more interconnected and sort of weaving back on itself. Um, but one area to the next didn't. I think the exception being Bloodborne when you come back out into uh, the clinic. Yes. That was yeah. very much one of those what yes. moments. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and actually in, in Dark Souls 3, they don't have as much of that aspect. Uh, so each area is kind of really intricate and, and uh, especially the early game areas, uh, but like the cathedral as well. It weaves around, brings you around different places. There's one lamp that you keep coming back to very much in the same way you talked about the forest in, in Bloodborne. Um, but but the areas together don't. But what uh, both Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne did was essentially, Bloodborne especially so, send you off from along one very linear path that's all together. So you're not going off on different spokes um, because the hub area is separate from the rest of the world. So you you warp to the hub area, but then you come into the world and there's a couple of branches that go off the path, but there is a very linear path that goes through, um, which made it feel something more like Dark Souls than Demon Souls or or Dark Souls 2 to me. Um, which I guess is kind of a, a weird way of thinking of it, especially given how far it works in... Um, in Dark Souls 3, and could be mistaken for the Nexus. Um, yeah, since you're yeah, warping Dark- out of it, as opposed to uh, yeah, just yeah. walking out of it like you did in Dark Souls 1. Yeah, and and so Bloodborne does this at one point, after you beat Rom, you're transported uh, into uh, Yahargul. Um, and that's a, that's a teleport to where you need to be in the world. Um which I guess is a concession just to not have to go back to that door that you might not even have found in in the cathedral. Um, yeah, I found that door, but I didn't get uh, my first run of Bloodborne. I didn't get kidnapped, so I had no idea Yaragul right. was a thing. And it existed, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if they hadn't warped me over there, I would have been like, I would have, I would have probably just run to a wiki at that point and been like, what do I do after beating beating Rob? <laughs> Dark Souls Two has a moment like that where if you don't realize that is it um, Lucia has moved to where she can turn the use the key to turn the room so that you can get out to um to another area so she she's in Hades Tower of Flame and then she warps back to much nearer to Majula if you don't realize that's happened and you forget the fact that there's this sort of key room that that swivels and opens up another path um you can you can get stuck and end up, and I did having having to sort of ask someone. I've been down every path as far as I can go. Where the heck do I go next? Yeah, I did um, exactly the same thing. Like that was yeah. like I talked to her and oh, this is going to be my faith merchant, and then she disappeared, and I assumed she was in the jeweler, yeah. but yeah. I looked like all over the place and could never <laughs> figure out where. So 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 likewise, if you've found that door, chances are you got snatched up by the amygdala and killed, probably. Um, so you would have seen that door there. You would have known that, I mean, this is a Souls game. There is a way past that door. You just don't know what it is yet. Um, so at some point, 
after Rom, you probably would have come back to that door and thought, okay, let's try and go through it now. And they could have done it that way. But um, choosing to warp the player, I guess, is a concession that they probably wouldn't have made in earlier games to just allowing the player to carry on and not necessarily worrying about it um, or not wanting the player to get stuck, I guess. Uh, and in, in Dark Souls 3, it feels like that happens probably more often than it really does. Um, but there's the, the moment after you beat whichever is your final um, Lord Soul uh, or, Lord, you know, uh, old one, mm-hmm. um, where you just get warped back to... Um, oh, why am I forgetting the name of the first area in Dark Souls 3? Uh, um... Oh crap! The you get Lothric walked back wall. to Emma, the, the throne yeah. room, yeah, in Lothric, and you go to um, to kind of upper. Um, so you can go into the castle proper, like you were on the yeah, high wall exactly. of Lothric. And yeah, yeah. You finally, yeah, you exactly. To, yeah, you get warped back to that room and are like, "Oh shit, there's a boss here now," which was <laughs> kind of crazy. Yeah, so, so you get warped in front of Emma and you have the conversation. Dies essentially, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, uh, boss fight. Um, it it feels like that to me cheapens the way the world's laid out in some ways because I get I mean it's exactly the same as it is in Bloodborne exactly the same as it is in Dark Souls two you will have seen that woman you probably noticed there was a ladder sitting right up above her <laughs> and that that you would be going there somewhere in the game um, but I was never given the opportunity to work that out for myself. Um, and I felt there could have been a, um, a neater way of giving me some kind of prompt after I had kind of got to the natural end of all the paths that I'd previously been on mm-hmm. uh, to work out that that had now opened up. Um, I don't know what that is. This is criticism without necessarily being constructive, but it just feels like if you're having to just warp me to where the next area is, well, it, it kind of might as well be leading me along a corridor or, you know, giving me a waypoint or something like that. This is one of my big complaints about um, Team Ico games. Like in Shadow of the mm. Colossus and Trico both, um, there are narrators that if you take too long to do any one given thing, starts talking to you and basically like spelling stuff out. And it yeah, really it yeah. frustrates me as a player because <laughs> in both of those games, I feel like I want, like I'm there to do this stuff myself. Like just because it's taken me 30 seconds to, you know, tell Trico to do something yeah. or to yeah, find yeah. The, the, the glowy spot on the Colossus, I don't need your help. Like I really wish I could turn yeah. that off. And yeah. it, it's for a game, well, especially is- since in those games, that's ex- exploration, including in shadow of Colossus exploration of the creature you're climbing on. That's the whole game. That's it. Yeah. Well, let's not kill ourselves. <laughs> combat is any great shakes in those games. Certainly, that's my opinion. Obviously, other people may may have great fun with the the actual combat, but the the riding around the climbing in Shadow of the Colossus, or you know, running around the 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 castle in in Ico. I haven't yet played uh, Last Guardian, so uh, I expect it's going to be much the same. Exploring, mild kind of puzzle solving. Um, but just learning how to traverse and where you want to go and how to get there, that's that's the game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if they suddenly... Um, it, it's a, a bugbear of mine in, in games like Uncharted or Gears of War where uh, the camera control is just suddenly wrenched from you yes, almost absolutely. and pointed in the direction of, here, look over here, this is what we want you to see. It's not necessarily leading you forward, but it's like we put all of this money into 
having an entire army of locusts walking down below you. There's no way we're going to allow you not to see this. So button prompt. Now we're going to, you know, <laughs> go into a cutscene or take control away from you. It's like, no, put those touches in the game, put the effort in, but allow the player to find them themselves because as we've been saying, and not for everyone, I'm sure, but certainly for me, finding that stuff on my own or not finding it and learning about it later in an Epic Name Bro video or a Vati video video or whatever, (laughs) you know, 109 things I missed in the very first room of Dark Souls. Uh, Thanks, Vati. Um, that, That stuff's like, wow, all this stuff I saw and yet, here's a load of stuff I didn't see. Um, the Witcher 2, uh, actually, I've never played, but I just by definition have a lot of respect for that game because you make a choice partway through the game and that completely cuts off half of the rest of the game from your character. Because this it is what make, I make sense talking to people. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but, but they're willing to say, we made say, a third of a game or a quarter of a game or whatever, that we know players are not going to see unless they play through our game twice. Great. That that doesn't mean I feel my experience was cheapened by not getting to see it or somehow it's uh, duplicitous of them to ask me to play through the game multiple times to see it all. That means I got the experience that I chose, so I've invested some of myself into it, and this was the outcome. Now I've got curiosity built in to say, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's talking to someone, whether it's actually playing through the game again, I can now go and find out what else happened. How much did that choice matter? How much did my version of the character or, you know, in Dark Souls or any of the Souls games, how how much did my decisions affect, not the outcome in in a mass effect, here's your final story ending type way, but just my appreciation of the game. Uh, I think that stuff is is fascinating. It's it's something interesting when, like, games respond to the player in interesting ways. Like, I think that's what attracts a lot of people to Mm. Dark Souls and things like that, is, like, you're having an effect on the world, and you could conceivably have killed an NPC that would have given you something in the future. Like, those stories that come out of people playing Dark Souls for the first time and... Oh, what do you mean? There's a big hat, Logan. Where was I? I, I, I thought I saw somebody, but then he just disappeared. Like, and yeah. a lot of people complain because those are those NPC quest lines are a little buried. But I kind of find them fascinating. Like, mm. I don't, I don't like strange triggers like that. I have to jump through hoops for. But if it's just about exploring and finding them and then talking to them, I, I'm all about that. Like that, that to me really, really yeah. works. Yeah. Um, and and I think the Souls games have probably have occasionally tipped over into the this is slightly too obscure. No, so I, not only did I have to explore, but I had to do it in a very specific order. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And and certainly that has been the case in several. But um. I I think you know you you think back to Solaire. I think as long as you speak to him each time you see him, that's it. That's you, all you have to do. You're gonna yeah. find him. I mean, the only time you might not find him is in his very last position where he's in the corridor um, between the demon ruins and Isolith because not everyone is going to find that corridor necessarily or be able to open it up or, more importantly, find it from the other direction. Um, or, like, understand, like, that saving Solaire is probably an example of it being too obscure. Like, because, sure. because just because you have to yeah. donate this thing that you don't have any idea why you're doing it or you don't get any kind of tangible reward for it until you just kind of figure out eventually that it opened yeah. up a door yeah. on, the, on a completely unrelated place. But yeah, his yeah. storyline yeah, outside of that, like, I think is just fascinating because you do. All you do is talk to him on each step of the way and eventually he just goes crazy. Like, it's just it's just amazing. Like, that, yeah. that's so great yeah, yeah. to me. Um, mm. No, definitely. Yeah, one of the best 
NPC uh, storylines, I think, just because of how, I mean, right up until Dark Souls 3, it felt integral to the main storyline of the first Dark Souls. But even if it's not, this character still feels important to me as, as you know, the um, chosen undead. Um, this was still someone that I had a kinship with, someone whose help I used on more than one occasion uh, <laughs> with, with Orstein Small, for example. Um, but yeah, so that, that sort of thing, you know, finding him at different spots. And I think finding him and understanding there might be a different way to finish his quest is the same sort of thing that we've talked about. It, it piques curiosity and invites you to maybe, yeah, have to go to a wiki to find out how not to have him go crazy um, with the sunlight maggot on his head, um, but invites you to go and find out because you're curious as to if, if there is another way this character's quest can go. Um, Lucatil's quest I've never as well, really, I think. Yeah, hmm. Lucatil's is great, but I wonder if, uh, and I haven't put any thought into this, it just occurred to me while we were talking, but yeah, you, can, yeah. you can summon Solera for um, uh the gaping dragon, you can summon him for Ornstein the Smo, and you can summon him for um, the not the chaos demon, the uh, centipede demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the most times you can summon the same NPC to fight different bosses for you? You can summon him for Gwyn as well. So, um... oh yeah, so that's four different boss fights. Like, I wonder, like, because that I wonder if that's one of the reasons people are bo- are bonded with him so well because he was um... actually your buddy in combat for so many times. Up at, Off the top the last of my boss. head. Without going to a wiki, I'm not sure how many times you can summon Lucatil, but I want to say because for for Lucatil and for uh, who's the other guy you can summon, you end up summoning for the for the um, oh, giant the, lord fight, the um, the dwarf guy, uh, not dwarf, the, guy, the, the guy with the, the, guy with the fake moonlight like sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um, I guess you can um, summon no, both of those for several times for several bosses. I so. think you can summon both of those four times, and you had to summon them three times, and they had to survive the fight to see the end of their quest lines. It was something like that. But again, like with Solaire, you didn't have to summon him to get to the end of his quest, and you didn't have to keep him alive. So with those two, it felt like it's okay. I found them. Oh, now I have to summon them, and they have to stay alive in order to see the end of their quest, it just, it feels a little too much to kind of, to get to the end of their quest lines. And I think, um, Dark Souls three, I, I happened to, um, to get to the end of, um, Oh, what the heck's the name? uh, Onion bro, that one. Yeah. C word. Word. I seek for each C word. Um, I happened to get to the end of Sigurd's quest on my first playthrough, but looking back at it, that was incredibly fortunate to do. <laughs> really, it just feels like there's one like because of the obscurity of quest lines in Demon Souls, which are arguably the most obscure, um, and Dark Souls. It feels like they felt they had to put one too many wrinkles in getting to the end of a quest line, mm-hmm. where now you have to go to a wiki to find out. And I say that having stumbled onto Sigurd's quest, but like um, some of the other NPC quest lines, Dark Souls Three is kind of nuts for that stuff. It really is. Like, like if you look at um, go back on your progress to places you do not need to go at 
Oh, yeah. Like um, going back to you know, that like bridge in front of uh, randomly having to go to the bridge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's just like it, uh, when I when I learned, saw that on a wiki somewhere, I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Like, why would and I then, have ever and gone back randomly here? from there with no inclination? If you haven't worked out who her father is or grandfather, sorry, having to go back to the pit where you fought the um, cursed rotted greatwood, that's just nuts. And even if you had worked out who her grandfather was, that, w- that would lead you back to that area where he invaded, if he invaded you, because you may not have been... I was about to say, I never saw that invasion. Right so. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just it feels like it's one too many steps to the point where you now have to have a wiki open next to you playing the game to trigger this stuff correctly. Instead of you're going to... Enough people are going to stumble over it one way or another that the wiki will then be populated. This is now, no, you're not going to stumble over it. You're not going to see this stuff unless you've jumped through, as you say, too many, one too many hoops for my taste at least. So I like to, I like to finish these episodes out with asking my guests uh, kind of where they want from software to go. Um, and I'm we're recording this right at the end of the year in 2016. Right now, yeah. they, they've announced that there's three games that they're working on and that they're one of them is probably an armored core and one of them is like a weird take on a series that you know and love, I think is the quote, which just sounds strange. Um, <laughs> for, for, for you for you personally, like where would you yeah. want to see, is it Dark Souls 4? Is it Bloodborne 2? Is it new IP? Like where, where would you like to see from software go? On the basis of my appreciation of these games, which I, th- I think it's probably obvious that um, the, my appreciation has dwindled uh, as the series has gone on. Uh, with So I should say Bloodborne notwithstanding, I'm kind of treating that as a separate series. Um, Dark Souls 2, I didn't particularly get on with initially. Scholar made that a lot better, but it still felt like it wasn't quite there. Um, and Dark Souls 3, I played it and enjoyed it at the time, but over the course of this year, I've just, it, it's kind of dwindled in my memory pretty significantly. Um, and throwing on top of that, what we said about Namco and the way they publicize the games, I'm not convinced that Dark Souls 4 is going to go in any kind of direction that I think I, I, I would necessarily appreciate. Um, as, as you said, I'm going to play it. I'm a sucker clearly and until the thing reaches out the tv and actually punches me in the face i'm going to keep playing that game <laughs> and even then i'd probably find a reason to say that that was still great um but but you know what i mean until the thing is just unrecognizable from dark souls there's still enough about the series but um i really don't want a dark souls 4 um like yeah in 10 years if they think they've got a way a place they can take that series and franchise sure but and and actually bloodborne 2 i'm not sure i'm interested in i'd much rather certainly that if there was a soulsborne game it was a collaboration with sony again but make it something different make it something new because bloodborne felt complete it felt whole certainly once i got through the dlc there wasn't anything else i wanted to explore in that world it kind of connected enough of the dots and left enough of them free for me just to say yeah no this is like dark souls after artorius of the abyss i've got what i wanted from this world um but i'd love to see where they could take something else you know 
in the same way that when Bloodborne was announced as Dark Souls with guns, everyone went, what are they doing here? And <laughs> I think it worked. I think it was great and, and was a different take on a similar sort of set of mechanics and a similar sort of tone and ethos. Um, so I, if it's going to be something Souls-esque, I'd like to, it to be something new and just not related. And I don't see if it's a game published by Namco that that's going to happen. I think yeah. they're clearly too invested in Dark Souls as, as, a, as a name. Um, but yeah, I, I hadn't played a FromSoft game. I was aware of Armored Core series and I, kind of aware of Kingsfield um, before I played Demon Souls. But there are enough fans of this company who preceded these games um, that there, there is good reason to be hopeful that if they can go back to something in their history, they can they can make good on it. Um, I'd I'd love to see what a, a modern armored core game looked like. I've never played an armored core game, so I don't have a lot of attachment to what it needs to be. Um, I I just want to see a bunch of people that I consider to be incredibly talented game makers. Um, just allowed to spread their wings. And that's something that when you're on a franchise, I don't think you're necessarily likely or as likely to be able to do. Um, you know, just any wacky idea they've had thrown up on the wall is not necessarily <laughs> going to be able to be shorned in Dark Souls. It might be able to be if there's not an, a kind of brand name on it, if you like. Excellent. Um, well, James, thank yeah. you very, very much for guesting on the show. I, I've been a big fan of yours, um, and I, I talked a lot of sugar about Kane Rents when Josh was on on this no, this, no, this series as, as well. But uh, man, I found Kane Rents this year, you. and uh, I, I would have never podcasted. I'd have been like, no, 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 no other podcaster needed. These guys got it right out. Done. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't find it till 2016. But uh, <laughs> it's 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 a it's it's very excellent, and you guys do a lot of good work. Can you tell people where to find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, and first, thank you. That's incredibly kind of you. I, I take absolute credit for the kind of format or or the standard of Kane and Rinse uh, necessarily. That's all down to uh, Jay, Tony, and Leon who came up with the idea of uh, – certainly it's not a unique idea. There are other people within the Souls, <laughs> the Souls community who do a podcast where each episode is dedicated to a different game or game series and goes in-depth. Uh, I don't even need to say their names. You know who they are. Um, but Kane and Rince, independently, it's now been five years since it, it was started, more than five years, uh, independently came up with a similar sort of idea. And it sounds odd in a world where sort of personality on podcasts and YouTube, etc., is kind of the driving force. Uh, and, and Twitcher stuff, of course, as well. Uh, but to take that out and really focus on the games and um, not, uh, and therefore each episode be independent, you know, it can be listened to whenever. There are episodes that I'm sure that we did very early on aren't necessarily as listenable as they are now. We hadn't got the format quite sorted out, etc. but they still stand, you know, uh, Assassin's Creed show was the first one I did and I think that still stands today if you go back and listen to it. It's not as time sensitive as say a game of the year show from back then where sure. it's all kind of relative to what you're playing at the time. I went back um, to those early episodes hmm. and, and for the five years because I just I went through and just downloaded every one that I had even 
a, a cursory knowledge of the game. Like I didn't want to go mm-hmm. in blind, but it, especially like stuff like the Bastion episodes and, and things like that. Like all of those yeah, hold yeah. up very, yeah. very well. Like I, those are those are all great. So yeah, yeah. and that that's kind of the other. Uh, again, no credit uh, heading my way for this, uh, but Lee Antonio and Jay had the idea that it, the podcast shouldn't be something you have to feel you need to spend two hours every single week listening to. Yeah. If there's an episode that pops up, it's a game you're not interested in, skip it. There'll be one next week that you probably are. Um, <laughs> and and we've had feedback, really positive feedback from some of the most obscure games we've done or um, kind of niche games we've done. Um as much as for the bigger, more universally loved or um, popular um, mm-hmm. games, so um, so yeah, you can. We're currently in a mid vo- or a between volume uh, break at the moment. Volume five finished, fittingly enough, with uh, the Bloodborne issue, the first of the Soulsborne games that I wasn't uh, hosting the the discussion. Um, that was issue 250. So that's how many of the podcasts you've got if, if you haven't heard of the show uh, to go back and listen to. Um, and you can find that uh, if, if on wherever you get your podcasts, you search for Kane and Rinse. Um, or if you go to um, the website, which is um, caneandrinse.com. <laughs> I don't actually know it's dot com. Google Kane and Rinse. I, I never <laughs> type in the URL anymore. So I don't, I, yeah, it's KaneandRinse.com. I'll just double check for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I always say that because when I set up my own website, which I'll briefly mention if I may in just a second, I purposefully avoided a dot com and went for a dot net mm-hmm. um, just because it's not a company or anything. And I, I wasn't sure if Kane and Rinse was similar, but um, obviously not. Uh, yeah, we also have a YouTube channel. Uh, where usually Darren, but I've got the most watched video on there for this kind of weird mobile game by Tale of Tales, <laughs> just bizarrely. Um, but I, my Souls le- Soul Level 1 playthrough of Dark Souls is on there, stuff like that. Uh, but again, loads of different stuff, a lot of retro games and things on there. Uh, and Darren's always entertaining if, you, if you're looking for some videos that are sort of 15 minutes long to entertain you for uh, for a bit. Um and yeah, we, in January, we will be starting Volume 6. Uh, I don't believe the schedule's been released yet, so I'll stay stum on exactly what that is. But as you're listening to this, you'll probably find there are new issues of Kane and Rinse uh, hitting your podcast feed. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy those. Um, you also have a... I, w- I want you to talk a little bit about your fitness podcast that you just launched. Too, yeah. Because this is something that uh, is kind of near and dear to me as well. So... Uh, End of September, I watched it. Uh, it's so the idea was that I had, after seven years of fairly poor health and neglect by myself, I'm not going to claim it was visited upon me. I did this to myself. I'd found that I'd put on a lot of weight, and more importantly, had lost an awful lot of fitness um, for so many different reasons. It's not a straightforward issue by any stretch, but. Um, so that happened earlier this year, and I started to try and get back on the horse, as it were, in terms of taking an interest in my own fitness and trying to get a bit healthier and fitter all round. Um, and I kind of realized that a lot of the information that's out there, even the stuff that claims to be for beginners, uh, certainly in terms of workouts and in terms of that sort of thing, or couch to 5K or something, it, it just isn't for people who are certainly in my position as someone who had previously been I, with, with no sense of bigging myself up, very fit when I was a teenager and in my early 20s. Um, 
and had kind of fallen off the wagon. Um, I was looking at it thinking, I know before I start that running for a minute and then walking for a minute is not viable for a lot of people in my position who really do want to try and get fitter, but are faced with that. And it just, every time you try would be defeating to, you know, crushing to to your self-esteem. So I thought, well, I can put together podcasts and a blog and I know enough people that I've spoken to uh, and I know enough of what I need to do and have been doing to kind of improve my health and fitness that maybe I could put together a podcast of not advice, but just discussions on, on the topic or, uh, you know, each week, a different topic that might inspire or encourage or inform others who are in that sort of situation. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's called retrofit uh, and can, the blog and Podcast podcasts are on there as well. Can be found at retrofitpod.net. Um, and if you search for retrofit podcast, hopefully it'll pop up on iTunes or wherever <laughs> you get podcasts from. Um, so I released a couple of episodes September and then another one at the end of October. And I've been trying to kind of wrangle guests into order since then. But um, now that New Year's coming up, I think I've got my ducks in a row and can start getting episodes out on a fortnightly basis. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the plan. But obviously, anyone listening who thinks that sounds interesting, it would be incredibly appreciated and hopefully slightly enjoyable uh, for you if if you choose to go and listen to or pick up on any of that stuff. Uh, and thank you very much for uh, for letting me letting me tout my wares. No problem. No problem at all. Thank you again for coming and guesting on the episode. I appreciate. Oh, no, no problem at all. I am. Always, as anyone listening can probably tell, always up for talking souls until my voice sort of breaks and, and fails, which it's on the cusp of doing because I've I've realized this is your podcast, but looking at my waveform here, there are much gaps. So clearly I did all the talking. I do apologize. That's, no, it's okay. Surrendous of me. That's, that's what I'm here house for. Guest. Everybody, uh, everybody knows all of my soul stuff anyway. So like this is episode like, you know, 50 or something that'll be coming out and yeah, it'll be, yeah, everyone already knows my opinion. Um, but thanks again. I, I very much appreciate it. No, no, it's an absolute pleasure. Hopefully talking, you know, largely about the worlds and stuff is, been a slightly, excuse me, a slightly different take on uh, on the Souls games um, to to what people might have heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what what a series to to talk about. So thank oh, you man. very much for for having me on to uh, to talk about my my kind of angle on them. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Did you say what your Twitter handle was, or did oh, we just I talk didn't. about podcasts? I, I didn't. Yeah. yeah, no, we just talked about podcasts. So uh, previous URLs notwithstanding, if you want. Get in touch with me and tell me how awful my voice is, how boring a human I am. Don't do that. Or any other completely <laughs> fair criticism. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Carter, comma, J, comma, obviously the word C O M M A, Carter, comma, J. Um, I've, I've just realized in all of that talking, um, I didn't mention my one achievement. Well, it, it, my main achievement in Souls games is doing a Dark Souls speed run in an hour and 42 minutes. Wow, um, is that is that that's no that's no skips or anything, right? That's just straight through. That was yeah, no. That, I mean, I I could have done um, kind of demon rune skip um, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but no, this was just practicing bosses and practicing enemies and um, any percent. So I skipped any bosses that I could, but, yeah. and and abused the um, 
Chaos Covenant shortcut and stuff like that. But um, yeah, but no, that that was just kind of uh, kind of getting getting through as quick as I could, and that was even at the time way slower than uh, any all bosses runs that were happening, which were about yeah, an hour and 20 at the time, the, I think. The but, fact that you finished it, though, like, that's that's the big thing. <laughs> like, it was it's just, just like, really I sat difficult. down one yeah. Saturday and I was like, right, I practiced everything I need to practice. I had save files to practice every bit that I thought would be tough and did it. Um, and I've done other stuff, a couple of Soul Level 1 runs and a permadeath run where I managed to get two Ornstein and Small with a magic-based character and thought, you know what, I probably can't beat them right now. I'm going to go off and do some other stuff. Went to the Great Hollow, fell and died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, oh, I don't man. even know. I can't even remember what I was going there for. It was either a spell or it was the Chloranthi ring, but I can't imagine why I'd need that on a magic character. So I guess I can't um, even remember magic why. Magic barrier is down there, which could be useful for the Four Kings. Like maybe maybe something were, like that. Yeah. I honestly can't remember. Um yeah, I, I I don't know what I was thinking, frankly. Um, <laughs> and, and another one where I decided that the first enemy I killed in the game, other than the Asylum demon, which you have to kill, um, would be the Hydra in Darkroot Basin. Okay. Which is surprisingly easier than you'd think, especially if you've practiced speedrunning to the point where you can kind of run through to Darkroot Basin pretty clearly and, and relatively easily. Yeah, you can just run past every enemy in in the asylum, aside from the the asylum demon, which you have to kill, mm. um, and then yeah, just get to Undeadburg, run through all of that, the same as you would in a speed run to Havel's Tower out the bottom there, and go and kill the Hydra. Um, so yeah, I did it both upgrading weapons and not upgrading weapons, but it didn't really make much difference either way. Uh, it's eminently doable that the Hydra can be your first kill in the game, if if you so choose. I just love that the game can kind of invite different challenges like that. And obviously people like uh, Lobos Jr. Um, c- can manage incredible challenges, But uh, and I've not done anything remotely similar, but just weird and wonderful things that you can try. And it's it's such a bummer that the the way that the worlds are structured in Dark Souls 3, like you just can't really do stuff like that. There, there's no um, getting the Great Scythe early or, you know what I'm saying? Like there's no... Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. Just, it's just yeah. everything is kind of locked behind. Like it's just all gated behind like random plot <laughs> stuff. <laughs> like yeah, the yeah, fact that you can, yeah, you, you, you can do a little bit of sequence breaking at the very beginning, but then they lock the end part of the game off completely for, you know, yeah. plot reasons. It's just, it's, it's just yeah, kind of a bummer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing you can do is, in Dark Souls 3 is go and kill Emma to get access to the rest of Lothric Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a very... And yeah, sure, you can get a weapon and get it up to plus you know, nine pretty early on, but it's still... It's, you know, it's still just a bit... Yeah, one-directional, I guess, in, in that respect. You're just going to have to run through the game, and so you may as well. And and the the sort of stock weapons are incredibly viable. You know, you can get pick a fire gem and get a fire longsword fairly early in the game, and that will get you to the end. But um, yeah, it doesn't invite the same sort of challenge runs. Yeah. Um, and and Dark Souls too, I guess, did it by offering you the um, Champions Covenant early on and the Ladle early on and stuff like that. You know, you could get a certain amount of interesting stuff uh early on in the game but but yeah same sort of thing you're just not going to get to certain areas of the game until you've been through others um yeah 
it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's and the game is fine. Like I'm not I'm not criticizing it too much. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I mean, it's it's and it's actually quite good. Like it's probably one of the best playing games that I've ever played. It's just it, oh, mechanically, yeah, yeah. It's just the I, the weight of that entire series on its shoulders just crushes it down. Like it's, yeah, it's and yeah. it's you know the the weight of being now a AAA known series that everyone wants to play and that yeah, everybody yeah. plays for their YouTube channels. Like it's just it's too much for a game. That's why like. You look at Bloodborne yeah, being yeah. completely different and being on its own and nobody knew anything about it. Mm. And it was just a great thing. Yeah. And, and I think Bloodborne benefits in terms of challenge runs because there are far fewer weapons in the game and there aren't that many that you're going to get until the very end unless mm-hmm. it's like um, German's uh, Scythe. Yeah. For example, you're just not going to get until the end or, of the game. So, or, yeah, um, or the Rukuyo. <laughs> sure. Which is, which is oh, like God. at the end of the DLC behind oh. <laughs> so I, I I got that weapon because you needed it for a trophy, uh, and it, and it's a great and interesting weapon. But that fight, yeah, it's, it's... With that just it's rotten, absolutely rotten. It really is. Uh, <laughs> like in in a way that I'm like, yeah, okay, fair, fair play from soft. Like it doesn't get to me in the way that some bad, you know, quote unquote bad fights sure. um, get to me elsewhere in the series. It's just like you put me in a pit. With one, oh no, no, it's two of them. <laughs> it's these enemies that you would run from any other time, but that's the only way you're going to get the weapon. And I didn't even realize that when I was first doing it. I just went down there and thought, no, I'm going to have to do this. This is a challenge I've now set myself. You know? I've I've told this story before, so if you if you've heard mm. on the podcast, tell me, and I'll, I'll I won't repeat it. But um, the I built a skill build specifically around that weapon because I like the move set so much. So I started a new build and like got mm. down there as fast as I could to get it so I could use it throughout the most throughout the rest of the game. Um and had a buddy of mine helping me to kill the two fish sharks to get it. And because I just yeah. could not do it solo. I was like blood level forty or something. Well, like it was one ridiculous. hit you'd be done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. Um so we were coming from the top. So we would start at the lamp. I would summon him. We'd ride yeah, yeah, down the elevator well. and then yeah, yeah. And run over. Um, and to do that, you have to run past a winter lantern along the way, which is like no big deal. Like we just skipped her and like kept going and would fight the fish giants. And we probably tried yeah, this yeah. like in, in all props to my buddy for being very patient with me. Like this was 20 or 30 attempts it, just on one of them. And it was just the one time this ever happened. We ran past the winter lantern, got in there, engaged the first one looked behind us and realized the winter lantern had followed us in there. <laughs> oh. So now we're, now there's two fish sharks or giant fishmen or whatever you want to call them. And a winter lantern in there. And we, it was just both of us on the mic yelling ah at each other. <laughs> it was nuts. So, so the, the one thing about, I, I, I kind of like that in, encounter. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that DLC is, I, so I think up there with Artorius of the Abyss. Uh, I really enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, the one thing I will say about that is, if you clear out the winter lanterns and kind of the caverns there um, and stand there, it looks like you should be able to throw knives or whatever at the the fish shark dude who's clinging to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. But they don't let, and, and equally well, if you're on the ground and get down there, they don't let you hit it until you've knocked the other one's health down to halfway or whenever the trigger is. Mm-hmm. It, it's there, and anywhere else in a Souls game, you would be able to aggro that enemy and yeah, okay, cheese it from standing on the ledge and throwing knives at it and it would drop down. You could poison it or whatever you would do. Um, for, and obviously to keep the encounter, they don't let you do that, but it, it's kind of frustrating that they don't. Yeah. It not, I mean, just in as much of, well, I shouldn't be able to see this thing then. 
it should be like somewhere out of the way that I cannot get to beforehand. But they put it there right in front of you if you're standing on the ledge up above, and therefore you should be able to throw the knives at it. I can't remember uh, what encounter it was, but I was having that same problem in Dark Souls 3 with somewhere in the DLC where there were obvious enemies available, like an like available, like an obviously enemies place. Them, yeah. I could see them, but like I would just swipe right through them until like they get up or whatever. Like they would took it would yeah, take them like yeah. coming to life before. And I guess they're doing that. Maybe that's something they're doing to try to like prevent people from from cheesing enemies with bows from far away or whatever. But like, yeah, it, why? it just feels like yeah, <laughs> they they've been clever about that previously in the series where an enemy, like even in Dark Souls Two DLC in the uh, Ivory King, where there's the dormant enemies, and if if you try and hit them, you don't hit them until you've activated something, but there's a reason for that. Like you have to activate something to make them exist. They're essentially statues. Um, but yeah, it makes it stand out when that happens because there are so many points that in all of the games are kind of exploits where you're, you're able to hit an enemy or take on an enemy on your terms and kind of cheese it if you want to. Um, and they've never patched that out. Like the Drake sword standing under the bridge with 200 arrows just plinking away at the tail. They could have patched that out if they wanted to, but they chose not to. So I'm sure that wasn't intentional design to allow you to do that beforehand, but they accepted that you were going to afterwards. And so when they intentionally kind of fudge it like that, it does feel a little off, I think. Yeah, it feels a little um, weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent. Um, as always, Thank I've you. been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find me the podcast on Twitter at DGUS Podcast. You can also go to Instagram slash Don't Give Up Skellies to see previews for every, the clips. Excuse me, previews for the episodes that go up each week. We're on Facebook and we're on all sorts of social medias and iTunes and whatnot. So just if you type in "Don't Give Up Skeleton" anywhere, it will probably show up to me. So. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I very much appreciate it. And remember, don't give up, skeleton. Skeleton.